0: And I'm Georgie, coming to you with chats about all aspects of design, creativity, and its influence on life.
1: Can I get a whoop, 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 whoop? This (laughs) This is Creative Clinks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Creative Clinks. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Lisa Kloon from Set Together Jewellery, now, Lisa has been a designer and a maker of jewellery for now over 10 years, and I am very happy to say that Lisa lives very close by to me, I'm right here on the Sunshine Coast. So, welcome, Lisa. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. No problem. And in case no one has realized, Lisa is from Across the Ditch originally, right? Yes. um, (laughs) Originally a Kiwi. (laughs) Well, this is very exciting. I am a fan of jewelry, especially custom-made bespoke jewelry myself, because there's something quite... I feel precious and special about being able to have something designed for you or just something that you can't go and pick up at your local shopping center, (laughs) really, which we all know the kind of shops we're talking about. I think what you do is incredibly creative and we just want to chat to you a little bit more about where that comes from and the direction of where you want to go with your your jewelry career you're right with best folk pieces
2: they are they are special and they tend to carry a story and there's also a lot of sentiment attached in each piece and I guess like in terms of where I'm going that's a hard one because Right from the beginning of my life as a jeweler, it's kind of just been I've looked ahead to the next year and that's about it. And even when I first started, I never really wanted to start a business. I was just happy to work for someone and just create pieces. And, you know, 10 years later,
1: I've now open, you know I've opened a business and might open a shop one day. Did this journey for you start while you were in high school?
2: It was kind of... By accident that I came in onto jewelry really in high school becoming a jeweler really wasn't on my radar in fact I didn't really even think it was an option and I think as well like jewelers they tend to be within a family and so one master jeweler will pass on their skills to their son or daughter like I was always good at art and I loved drawing in my spare time and after high school I my mum my found this jewellery course in Auckland and to get in you had to sit a two-day audition
1: oh wow and
2: I had a look at their website and I thought oh yeah that'll be fun like for two days making things and yeah did the audition and in the in the audition you had to show them some of your artwork make a perfect 30 by 30 mil square and a ring Wow. And honestly, like as soon as I sat down at the bench and made something, I just fell in love with making things.
1: And this is with zero experience. Zero. Ex- I didn't even know what a jewellery bench looked like or anything.
2: Like it was so foreign.
0: Wow. And but like previous to that, like you did say that you really enjoyed drawing, drawing and whatnot, but have you done or been kind of exposed to a lot of making with your hands? Like whether it's, you know, Sculpting or sewing or things like that—that kind of took your interest.
2: Growing up, I always, right from when I can remember, I've been drawing, and you know, I would make little clothes for my Barbies, and yeah, I guess, I guess I was quite hands-on and creative, and you know, making woodwork. Thing, my dad had a workshop, so I was in the workshop with him a lot. So yeah, I I definitely had. The knack for making things. But I also, like, growing up, I loved treasure and ancient Egypt and just, like, looking at the pictures of all the gold and the gems and stuff. So
0: I guess that seed was planted there,
2: you know, right from a child.
0: I guess... With jewellery, it's very subjective and individual taste. How would you describe your particular style when you approach making and even your own kind of styling yourself when you go out?
2: I feel like there's two different styles for me. There's the style that I like making and then there's the style that I like wearing. So in terms of making, I do love quite complex art deco rings big showpiece rings and brooches all of that it's it's just fun to to see the progress and you know the diamonds and the gemstones it's all a bonus but in terms of wearing i probably don't like wearing many gems i prefer more just like gold bands and plain gold rings and stuff
0: did you find when it first started out you were making a lot of things for yourself or did you kind of jump into when you were making you're like okay this particular idea I have in my head that's going to be for this particular person
2: Right from the beginning I guess I was more making for other people and even at jewelry school you're making you know to a brief or you're copying something that's been made and then when I started working it was always other people's designs and, yeah, I didn't really have the time to make stuff for myself. Every now and again, a friend of mine would ask me to make them something. So that's where I got to kind of put in my own creative flair to the designs. And, yeah, just over time with engagement rings and wedding bands, I started yeah, designing more of my own stuff that way. But I made this one ring and it was initially for stock and I just thought, I can't sell this. Like, I want to keep it.
1: Wow. Lisa, you mentioned, um, which which actually Georgie and I had picked up on previously from looking at your, your designs online, you mentioned your style is very much art deco, which, yeah, is what we picked up on. And I am obsessed with art deco. I probably have like, oh, maybe close to like a dozen books that are about art deco design in general. So there's actually jewelry and interiors and objects and stuff like that. What about art deco are you actually drawn to?
2: I think it's the straight lines and your okay. details that are still really simple. yeah. Because um, with Art Deco, you know, a lot of the influences in Art Deco jewellery is from architecture and also with Carmen being discovered in the early
1: 20s, that's probably something I've gravitated to for, because of that. I mean, architecture and jewelry being combined, like that's that's incredible.
0: And then so when you first started out, like I guess when you had the freedom from a brief, did you do a lot more designing that was more representative, that Egyptian kind of style of design, or did you just jump straight to, I really love Art Deco, that really mirrors the that discovery of Tutankhamun. Carmen
2: I, I think there's always a bit of transition with each design that I do. Even now... The new designs that I'm doing, I'm kind of bringing in flares and I'm starting to develop, I've noticed, my own style, which I never thought that I really had. It was just kind of like I've made something because I liked it. And now that I've been able to make so many pieces, I can really see this common thread. I'll do a lot of, like, lines and try and get that <laughs> I don't
0: even
1: know how to describe it, like sun rays. Yeah, yeah. So when you're picking a gemstone, I believe you, you've studied gemology as well, which a lot of people may not really understand what that's about. Can you explain to people what it is about? And it's not so simple as just picking a pretty coloured stone.
2: Yeah, so gemology is it's the scientific study of gemstones. So... When you do the course, you learn what elements give each gem their colour, the optical properties. So some stones will disperse light more than others, which will make it more sparkly. So then you, you know, you learn why certain stones are cut ways to enhance, say, colour or sparkle or the weight. Um, but the idea is that by the end of it, you can pick up any cut gemstone and identify what it is and so it's essentially just a process of elimination so they teach you every step to eliminate what it isn't
0: oh wow and how have you found that that knowledge has has that influenced your design or just more or less given you that bit more knowledge in how to pick things when you're shopping for jet a bit, a bit of both
2: after doing gem- gemology it kind of opened my world to a whole range of new colors that i didn't really know were available and you know some stones you can't aren't good in jewelry depending on how it's worn because they might be too soft or too brittle or you know some even fade in the sunlight now that i have like a larger range of color to choose from i can kind of picture what i want to make and say for example if i want to mimic a sunset or colors of a landscape, then I can think of, oh, yeah, that's a, this type of tourmaline or that's that stone or, you know, try and incorporate it into the design. And also, yeah, just different shades of stones that I wasn't really sure of or aware of because in jewellery, you, you, like I've, I tended to mainly work with your standard diamonds, sapphire, blue sapphires, rubies and emeralds. And the garments and stuff, but, yeah, there's hundreds of stones out there.
0: And how is it – did you find it difficult to be able to find – is there like a central, like it's a gem store and this is where you're going to find all of them to buy or do you have to kind of be able to make those different relationships with different suppliers to be able to get your mitts on different unique stones? Yeah,
2: that's it. Like different suppliers will have various types of stone depending on who they are. But there's suppliers all dotted all around, like Brisbane. All the major cities have a handful of gem suppliers. And then there's also overseas suppliers. A lot of the overseas ones... I've met through my old boss, or not met them, but have worked with them through my old boss, and um, also my partner and I travelled to Sri Lanka and met a few gem dealers there. So after, after gemology, I really wanted to go to you know where the gemstones are found to see. See the mines with my own eyes and just kind of see where the, that journey of that gemstone begins. So I really wanted to to visit and see for myself that it was okay.
0: And you're always proactively trying to source like that fair trade side of supplying of gems. Absolutely. I mean,
2: it's to be honest, it's actually pretty good. There are some scare stories, but I do try and like go as close to the miners as possible. Generally, these little mines, like particularly in Sri Lanka, they're owned by families.
1: Lisa, you were talking about um, the way you, you know, like choosing stones and that kind of thing. There's there's two parts to my question. The first one is, is there a stone that you actually want to use but haven't used yet? Yes. What is it? The first it?
2: one that comes to my head is a Dementoid garnet.
1: Don't even know what that is.
2: <laughs> so, it's it's a garnet. But it's yep. green, and it's the type oh. of green is like a minty grass green. Uh, and it's Got high dispersion, so it's as sparkly as a diamond. Wow! And they have these natural inclusions, and in they're made of asbestos. And that when you look at it through a microscope, it looks like... I don't know asbestos is not that good, but
1: if everyone can see our face at the moment. We're like, what? <laughs> so it's yeah. The, the
2: asbestos inclusions look like tufts of grass, almost, or like a starburst with it. Yeah, you should Google it.
1: And where do they come from? They're found in Russia
2: wow yeah so. yeah so it's will probably be bit harder than normal but.
1: and so they're are they very expensive is that part of the reason why you haven't used them yet they are pretty expensive okay. and
2: they're hard to find in large sizes so they're generally right. only really like under a carrot which is about six mil round
1: just for Yeah, right. Wow.
0: Actually, I have a question for you that's probably irrelevant to anything we've really asked you. What is a carrot? That's a good question because it is
2: confusing. So you've got carrot for gemstones, which is a weight. So one carrot is a fifth of a gram. But then you've got carrots as in gold carrot. So you've got your 18 carat, 14 carat, 9 carat, or 24 carat. So 24 carat gold is pure gold. 18 carat is 18 parts of 24 gold. 9 is 9 parts of 24 gold.
0: That makes so much more sense. Yeah, so you can have like a
2: 1 carat (laughs) diamond in an 18 carat gold ring.
0: And it's, yeah,
1: it is confusing. Yeah, awesome.
0: And like, look. Another weird side question because now I'm just really curious and I want to be educated here. With like, you know, you've got a diamond. On the scale of like the gems of the world, where does the diamond really sit? Like is it really this bourgeois (laughs) thing you really want or is there so many more above that that's like that's what you want to look at?
2: That's a hard one to answer because you do have, you know, with the value of something, you still have to take into account popularity and demand. And if something is, you know, it's like any brand, if something is sought after and people want it, then that's where the value lies. In terms of rarity, it's not that rare. The larger stone, the larger diamonds are very rare, so they fetch massive amounts, and that makes sense. But yeah, in terms of your one carat diamond, they're beautiful stones, like they're really sparkly and all that. Is this
1: going to be a controversial answer? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe.
2: I mean, look, me personally, like I like diamonds to frame a colored stone. Okay. Colored stones, you know, there's so much more, they have such an interesting makeup. I mean, so do diamonds, but, you know, you've got, you've got, I don't know, I just think there's such a variety of colors that you can get. So why not get a colored stone? You can literally create anything that you want. And that's the beauty of it. And the cost as well, it's not really. It's much of a matchness if you're buying from a chain store, if you're buying from a jewelry business. It's, yeah.
1: And done with a lot more love by you than the one we buy from the shelf at the shopping center. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Actually, so we'll get back to my part two of my question that I did have before (laughs) you interrupted. Do you feel, because this is actually where I kind of want to go with this, do you pick stones a bit intuitively as well? You understand what I'm talking about? Obviously, when I say that, like a bit more spiritually, you're drawn to it and you feel energy that's associated with it. Is that something that actually happens?
2: I guess so because like say if I see a tray of stones I'll scan the whole tray and be like that's the one that I want and I tend to just go with my instincts. I'm not quite sure why I'll be drawn to a particular stone but it will just catch
0: my eye and I'll just trust and then
2: that'll be the one.
1: Yeah,
0: you're making me so envious I wish I did jewelry making it is a fun job
1: yeah I was just going to kind of mention that I know with you know crystals are very different you're more kind of higher end gemstones and stuff like that but I know there's a lot of people who are into crystals and I am one of them um, that we talk a lot about being kind of like drawn to energy and that they give off a particular energy is that something that you actually you feel as well or you feel that's a little bit hocus pocus me
2: personally, I kind of approach gems more as like the scientific side of it from doing the gemology and stuff. But even with you know, with the science science behind it, there are unique physical properties in each one. And I guess the way light works in them, absolutely like there's yeah. And I've heard some incredible stories. Yeah, right. Apparently, um basalt, which I've got sitting up there that's good for cleansing rings and I happened to buy it at a crystal shop because I was looking for props to take photos of my jewellery on and yeah
1: then I was told that it cleanses all jewellery I was like bonus I love that. If you're like me when there it's a full moon, you took you take all your crystals out and put them on the balcony so they can be exposed to the full moon and they're cleansed and they basically start from scratch once the full moon is done.
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna take that to like you put them all out to ward off the freaky people that come out
1: the full <laughs> No, I'm probably one of those freaky people. But like I <laughs> really like I do I don't do it religiously, but it is supposed to be like a cleansing kind of thing. So I mean that's probably kind of a, a very similar um, thing when you're talking about putting it on, on your basalt, and it's yeah, it's like energetically kind of clearing it, especially if you were like making a ring and then you're handing it over to someone else. You want to have clean energy for that person to then put their energy into it. And you know, like last thing they want is you were having a bad day and you've got all this negative energy do <laughs>
2: that. So, oh god that's it so i
1: felt like i feel like the ring i was making today was a bit like that. really oh okay you need to cleanse that girl yeah i'm all about the juju <laughs> now
0: what i was gonna ask you like so you were saying how there's sizes and things so when you get a gem are you like do you cut it at all or you receive it as is and you work with whatever shape you've been given
2: I buy the stone completely cut. So, cutting gemstones is a is a different trade. They're called lapidrists. Like I don't understand the theory behind it, but it's it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, well, because with lapidry, they have to be so careful because certain stones they have planes of weaknesses. Uh, they're called cleavage planes. You got to know how to cut it so that the colour is displayed perfectly through the top, and you get the most sparkle, or the inclusions are hidden. And yeah, so it's it's an, it's crazy what they do. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then my follow up question to this that I just thought of was like is has there ever been one piece that you you know like it's been a custom order for someone, but then you've regretted actually having to give it over because you liked it so much? Has that ever happened to you? Yes. <laughs>
2: It's happened, yeah, it's happened more than once,
0: especially
2: when you know, the customer may not be the nicest person in the world. <laughs> and then you make this beautiful yeah. piece. Oh. And then, the, um, yeah, so that, that has
1: happened. <laughs> I'm like- Lisa, Georgie and I were actually chatting. We're, we're going to do an episode very soon about trends, okay? And, like, I hate the word trend, but in the jewellery world, just like any other design world, there's something that, you know, people come out and say, oh, this is the trend for 2022 or whatever it might be. Does that actually happen in in your industry as well? Yes. So what are they saying is like trendy at the moment?
2: Pretty much as soon as a famous person gets a ring, that ring will trickle down and you'll be making it. Okay. Um, So I think, I I don't know, maybe it
1: was one of the Kardashians They got an Oval. Georgie the Kardashians keep coming up with us somehow before, but okay. And then it was really hard to get oval diamonds
2: for a bit just because when you buy diamonds, you're competing against everyone else in the world. Yeah. So there's like a handful of sellers. Oh, really? And you, you, you're buying them in US dollars. So you, you, you're comp- competing with people in America and England and wherever. It's phased out a little bit now, but yeah, if, <laughs> last year it was hard to get a noble diamond.
0: So have you found that fast fashion or that fast making of turning over jewellery and things of those, you know, large companies, have you found that has really impacted the way you trade or have you found that you've found your market and and that has really worked and you've been able to grow from there or do you find there's a lot of competing?
2: No, I don't really feel like there's com- competition with the fast fashion mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the market that I, I've been serving, or like I served while I was working for my old boss down in Melbourne, it was a, it's a different market, yeah. So it doesn't need to be that way because people with the smaller budgets, they can still get something custom-made, and I think that's the, That's where people kind of get stuck. They go, oh, if I want a custom piece, I have to spend, you know, $10,000 or whatever. But it's actually not the case at all. Jewellery can be intimidating. So it's just easy for them to walk into a mall and buy off the shelf.
1: Hmm.
0: In regards to that, because that's actually something that would probably intimidate me is that because like, I'm a big time Scrooge, where would be, I guess, the starting benchmark for people to kind of understand where that accessibility for custom made jewellery is?
2: Yeah, you could probably start at about 2000 for an engagement ring. That will get you a salt and pepper. And then maybe even around 5000 that's probably the good
1: Yeah, happy level. medium. Has there ever been a time when someone's come to you and I guess they've been very stuck in, you know, this is the design I want and you've looked at it and thought there was a better way to do this. How do you – I'm sure it happens all the time. I mean, as designers, we all do that. But – because something like jewellery is so personal, how do you deal with situations like that to try and maybe persuade them or tell them that there are other options that might be better suited to what they're trying to achieve? Yeah, that's
2: that's a good question. I mean, sometimes people hand me designs or they've had a ring that they want remade exactly the same, and I tend to test the waters on each customer because some people are so, this is what I want, and then so I'm like, okay you know, I'll make it as is. Yeah. but I will generally suggest a few things and then sometimes I'll jump at that. And sometimes they won't. And then, yeah, I, I, I'll go from there, but it does depend customer to customer. I had someone that wanted a solitaire oval and it was a big, big stone. Um, it was a two carat and I, you know, I wanted to make this solitaire oval, but it, I wanted it to be a bit different. So I just suggested to, like, add little leaf patterns around the base of the stone. So you can't see it from the top, so it still looks like all the photos that you see on Pinterest and Instagram of your oval. But it still had that little bit of custom. Yeah, yeah. Um, in that instance, I got away with it fine, but others, some people just don't want it. So
0: I tell you what, I just looked that up because you're teaching me so many things. And oh my God, that's a whopper. Yeah, yeah, it's a big stone. Your salt and pepper, what's online on your website? Love. Yep. Like that is my new, my new jam. What would be your one tip for if there's any listeners here that are considering, pondered, or now inspired about being a jeweler? How would you? Be able to, what's the key things to be up to date with trends and the way to make things? Is there like a a jewellers association of design or something? Yeah, there
2: is the Jewellery Association of Australia. They're a trade network though, but I think on their website there's information on how to get apprenticeships and things like that. But for, because there's manufacturing jewellers and then there's jewellery designers. So, if you want to be a manufacturing jeweler, I think if you're, you know, in high school and you're good at metalwork and woodwork and want to go down that path, then yeah, Google all your manufacturing jewelers around you and ask them for a position basically because those jobs, they don't tend to, like all the jobs I've gotten, none of them were advertised. It was just me kind of walking in and asking. So, yeah, that that's a good way to try and get your foot in the door and then and with jewelry design I mean both ways I think if you if you like drawing and you can draw then jewelry will be a good world to be in. Oh there is the, actually there is on Facebook a group called the Jewelers Co. Um, and again they're another trade network thing.
0: Cool. And have you ever found throughout like your journey to be where you are today, have you ever found there was a point where you've just sat down and asked yourself with a glass of wine, What am I doing here?
2: I absolutely love my job. Sometimes I pinch myself and I'm like, I can't believe I get to do this, <laughs> you know, like because it, it's fun. I just make things all day. <laughs> yeah, we can't
1: complain,
0: <laughs> it's <Yeah>. pretty cool. <laughs> Well, you're our our success story, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Whereas there's me in my wardrobe just, you know, in the fetal position every now
1: and, the, and again. Georgie in her wardrobe. No one can see this, but Georgie's actually podcasting in her wardrobe at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so, Lisa, we have three standard questions that we ask our guests every single time. So I think we're going to start our Creative Clinks questions. Georgie, do you want to kick it off? I think
0: this has its answer already, but let's roll with it. So, Lisa, if your career had no bounds, you didn't have all these kind of, you know, needing to move around the place or anything like that, what would you be doing? I don't know if I would change anything. (laughs) Love that. Success. I was actually
2: thinking the other day what would be a cool job. It's still within the jewelry trade though.
0: Yes, go for it. I thought it. it would
2: be cool to, you know how when investors and stuff want to buy lots of property and they have a buyer's advocate to do that, except for jewelry, and then like go to auction wow. houses and just yeah, essentially just buy jewelry with other people's money.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Love- that would be a fun I think I'd do that for any job, actually. Just use someone else's money to just like buy anything.
2: <laughs> yeah, any kind of buy advocate. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, what's those big auction houses? Um, I want to say Sotheby's. Is it Sotheby's? Yeah, Sotheby's. Was- yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, okay. Question two: What advice would you give to your fifteen-year-old self?
2: Uh, it would be. I was, like, an angsty teenager, so I would have been, like, stop being so angsty. (laughs)
1: Angsty? What's angsty? Like? Yeah, just, like,
2: I don't know, kind of just, like,
1: like hate the world?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like life is hard when it's actually not. Like, you know, that kind of. Like I like heavy metal and rock music.
1: <laughs> you yeah. yeah. I love this. Oh,
0: all right, last that. question, Georgie. All right, all right. Okay, last question. What do you say to people who claim that they are not creative? I think everybody's
2: creative. So I challenge anyone that thinks that they're not creative. I mean, you know, you've got the standard... You know, if you're into art and stuff, then that's creative. But there's also, it, it spills on to every single industry, I think. Yeah, people just need to look at what creativity is in a more creative way.
0: How about that mind boggler?
1: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay, well, I think we are pretty much done. Lisa, it has been so much fun having you with us. I hope you've had fun no i think i have i have thank you for
2: having me on the show you guys both eased my nerves
1: oh and lisa tell everyone where they can find you uh you can find me on instagram on set together jewelry <laughs> to think about that for a bit oh my god we have to think about
2: ours every time go on yep yeah and online it's www.sittogether.com.au
0: Love that and honestly, everyone, you're missing out if you don't check it out and you're going to be sad when you see the salt and pepper in your cup. Everyone needs a salt and pepper ring. So get in line.
1: So We have one final question for you. Can we get a wolf whoop? Woo!
0: Woo! Yes.
1: For now, we'll leave you with that
0: and have a great week. Cheers.